Chapter Four, Part Three of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Chapter Four, Jack and Jazz, Part Three. Summers went round to the shipping agents and found out about boats to San Francisco, and talked of sailing in July, and of stopping at Tahiti or at Fiji on the way, and of cabling for money for the fares. He figured it all out, and Harriet mildly agreed. Her revulsion from Australia had passed quicker than his, now that she saw herself escaping from town and from neighbors to the quiet of a house by the sea alone with him. Still, she let him talk. Verbal agreement and silent opposition is perhaps the best weapon on such occasions. Harriet would look at him sometimes wistfully as he sat with his brow clouded. She had a real instinctive mistrust of other people, all other people. In her heart of hearts, she said she wanted to live alone with Summers and know nobody all the rest of her life. In Australia, where one can be lonely, and where the land almost calls to one to be lonely, and then drives one back again on one's fellow men in a kind of frenzy. Harriet would be quite happy by the sea, with a house and a little garden, and as much space to herself as possible, knowing nobody, but having Lovett always there. And he could write, and it would be perfect. But he wouldn't be happy, and he said so, and she knew it. She saw it like a doom on his brow. And why couldn't we be happy in this wonderful new country, living to ourselves? We could have a cow and chickens, and then the Pacific, and this marvelous new country. Surely that's enough for any man. Why must you have more? Because I feel I must fight out something with mankind yet. I haven't finished with my fellow men. I've got a struggle with them yet. But what struggle? What's the good? What's the point of your struggle? And what's your struggle for? I don't know, but it's inside me, and I haven't finished yet to make some kind of an opening, some kind of a way for the afterwards. Ha! The afterwards will make its own way. It won't wait for you. It's a kind of nervous obstinacy and self-importance in you. You don't like people. You always turn away from them and hate them. Yet, like a dog to his vomit, you always turn back. And it will be the same old game here again as everywhere else. What are these people after all? Quite nice, but just common and not in your line at all. But there you are. You stick your head into a bush like an ostrich and think you're doing wonders. I intend to move with men and get men to move with me before I die, he said. Then he added hastily, or at any rate, I'll try a bit longer yet. When I make up my mind that it's really no good, I'll go with you and we'll live alone somewhere together and forget the world. And in Australia, too, just like a businessman retiring. I'll retire away from the world and forget it. But not yet. Not till I feel I've finished. I've got to struggle with men and the world of men for a time yet. When it's over, I'll do as you say. Ah, you and your men, men. What do these Calcutts and these little Tuhela people mean to you after all? Are they men? They are only something you delude yourself about. And then you'll come a cropper and fall back on me. Just as it always is. 
you fall back on me and i'm expected to like it i'm good enough to fall back on when you've made a fool of yourself with a lot of tuppenny little people imagining you're doing something in the world of men much men there is about it common little street people that's all he was silent he heard all she had to say and he knew that as far as the past went it was all quite true he had started off on his fiery courses always as she said to fall back rather the worse for the attempt on her she had no use at all for fiery courses and efforts with the world of men let all that rubbish go well he said it's my need to make these tries yet wait till i've exhausted the need and we'll have a little place of our own and forget the world really i know i can do it i could almost do it now and here in australia the country appeals to me that way to lose oneself and have done with this side of life but wait a bit longer ah oh, i suppose i shall have to she said recklessly you'll have to go one making a fool of yourself till you're tired wives are supposed to have to take their husbands back a little damaged and repentant from their love affairs with other women and i'm hanged if it wouldn't be more fun than this business of seeing you come back once more fooled from your attempts with men the world of men as you call it if they were real men i wouldn't mind but look at your jack calcutt really and you're supposed to have had some experience in life clip in old man she imitated jack's voice and manner and you stand it all and think it's wonderful nay men are too foolish for me to understand them i give them up he laughed realizing that most of what she said was true you see he said i have the roots of my life with you but i want if possible to send out a new shoot in the life of mankind the effort man makes forever to grow into new forms she looked at him and somehow she wanted to cry because he was so silly in refusing to be finally disappointed in his efforts with mankind and yet his silliness was pathetic in a way beautiful but then it was so silly she wanted to shake him send out a new shoot then send it out you do it in your writing already she cried but getting yourself mixed up with these impudent little people won't send any shoots don't you think it they'll nip you in the bud again as they always do he pondered this also stubbornly and knew it was true but he had set his will on something and wasn't going to give way i want to do something with living people somewhere somehow while i live on the earth i write but i write alone and i live alone without any connection whatever with the rest of men don't swank you don't live alone you've got me there safe enough to support you don't swank to me about being alone because it insults me you see i know how much alone you are with me always there keeping you together and again he sulked and swallowed it and obstinately held out nonetheless he retorted i do want to do something along with men i am alone and cut off as a man among men i just have no place i have my life with you i know at praeteria nihil at praeteria nihil and what more do you want besides you liar haven't you your writing isn't that all you want isn't that doing all there is to be done men much men there is about them bah when it comes to that i have to be even the only man as well as the only woman 
"'That's the whole trouble,' he said bitingly. "'Bah, you creature, you ought to be grateful,' cried Harriet. "'William James arrived one morning when the Calcutts were both out, "'and brought a little basket of persimmons and passion-fruits for Harriet. "'As it happened, Summers also was out. "'I remember you said you like these date-plums, Mrs. Summers. "'Over at our place we don't care for them, "'so if you like to have them you're welcome.' and these are about the last of the passion-fruit, seemingly. The persimmons were good big ones, of that lovely suave orange-red color, which is perhaps their chief attraction, and they were just beginning to go soft. Harriet, of course, was enchanted. William James came in and sat down for a few minutes, wondering what had become of Victoria. He looked round the room curiously. Harriet had, of course, arranged it to her own liking taking away all the pictures and ornaments, hung a tunis curtain behind the couch, stood two tall red lacquer candlesticks on the mantelpiece, and altogether given the room that air of pleasant distinction, which a woman who knows how to do it finds so easy, especially if she has a few shawls and cushion covers, and bits of interesting brass or china. Harriet insisted on traveling with a few such things. She was prepared to camp in a furnished bungalow or cottage on any continent, but a few of her own things she must have about her. Also, she wore a dress of Bavarian peasant stuff, very thin black woolen material, sprinkled all over with tiny pink roses with green leaves. And on her feet she had heelless sandals of plaited strips of leather from Colombo. William James noticed every one of these things. They had a glamour like magic for him. "'This is quite a pleasant room you have here,' he said in his Cornish voice, with the alert, subtle, faintly smiling look of wonder on his face. "'It isn't bad,' said Harriet, "'but a bit pokey.' "'Pokey, you call it? Do you remember the little stone holes they have for rooms in those old stone Cornish cottages?' "'Yes, but we had a lovely one. And the great thick granite walls and the low ceilings?' Walls are always letting the damp in, can't keep it out, because all the chinks and spaces are just stuffed with plain earth, and a bit of mortar smeared over the outside like butter scraped on bread. Don't I remember it? I should think I do. Cornwall had a great charm for me. Well, I don't know where you found it, I'm sure. But I suppose you've got a way of your own with a place, let it be Cornwall, or where it may, to make it look well. It all depends where you're born and where you come from. Perhaps, said Harriet, I've never seen an Australian cottage looking like this now, and yet it isn't the number of things you've put into it. The number I've taken out, laughed Harriet. William James sat there with his quiet, slumberous-seeming body, watching her, watching the quick radiance of her fair face and the charm of her bearing. There was something quick and sure, as it were, beyond the ordinary clay about her, that exercised a spell over him. She was his real Cornish idea of a lady, simple, living among people, as if one of themselves, and yet not one of themselves, a sort of magic about her. He could almost see a glow in the air around her, and he could see that for her he was just a nice fellow who lived in another world and on another plane than herself, and that he could never come up or she come down. She was the queen that slumbers somewhere in every Cornish imagination, the queen ungrudged. And perhaps, in the true Celtic imagination, 
slumbers the glamorous king as well the celt needs the mystic glow of real kingliness hence his loneliness in the democratic world of industry in his social perversity i don't suppose rose could ever learn to do this with a room could she now he asked making a slight gesture with his hand he sat with his clear queer light gray eyes fixed on harriet's face i think so cried harriet then she met the watchful eyes in her own way she could every woman has her own way you know yes i do know he answered and you see said harriet we're more or less lazy people who have no regular work in the world if we had perhaps we should live in a different way william james shook his head it's what's bred into you he said that comes out now if i was a really rich man i think i could learn to carry it off with the best of them out here but when it comes to being the real thing why i know it would be beyond me so there you are but can one be sure she cried i think i can i can see the difference between common and uncommon i can do more than that i can see the difference between gentlemen who haven't got the gift and those that have take lord washburn for example he's a gentleman all right he comes of an old family they tell me but i doubt very much if he's any better than i am why should he be cried harriet what i mean is said william james he hasn't got the gift you know the gift of what said harriet puzzled how shall i put it the gift that you've got now and that mr somers has as well and that people out here don't have but that may only be manner said harriet no it's more than manner it's the gift of being superior there now better than most folks you understand me i don't mean swank and money that'll never give it to you neither is it thinking yourself superior the people that are superior don't think it and don't even seem to feel it in a way and yet in a way they know it but there aren't many of them out here and what there are go away this place is meant for all one dead level sort of people he spoke with curious sarcasm but said harriet you are australian yourself now aren't you or don't you feel it oh yes i suppose i feel it he said shifting uneasily on his seat i am australian and i'm australian partly because i know that in australia there won't be anybody any better than me there now but laughed harriet aren't you glad then glad he said it's not a matter for gladness it's a fact but i'm not one of the fools who think there's nobody any better than me in the world i know there are how queer to hear you say so but this isn't the place for them here in australia we don't want them we want the new-fashioned sort of people who are all dead level as good as one another you're going to mullumbooby this week with jack and victoria aren't you yes and i thought if we liked it we might stay down there for a while by the sea away from the town you please yourselves of course perhaps better there than here but it's no business of mine you know that he shrugged his shoulders but there's something comes over me when i see mr somers thinking he can live out here and work with the australians i think he's wrong i really do they'll drag him down to their level and make what use they can of him 
and well in my opinion you'd both be sorry for it how strange that you should say so you who are one of them i am one of them and i'm not i'm not one of anybody but i haven't got only just the two eyes in my head that can tell the kettle from the teapot i've got another set of eyes inside me somewhere that can tell real differences when there are any and that's what these people don't seem to have at all they've only got the outside eyes harriet looked at him in wonder and he looked at her at her queer rather large but thin-skinned soft hands you need a thick skin to live out here he said but still she sat with her hands folded lost in meditation but lovett wants so much to do something in the world with other men she said at last it's not my urging i assure you he's making a mistake he's making a mistake to come out here tell him from me they'll take him at their own level not at his but perhaps he wants to be taken at their level said harriet rather bitterly almost loving the short thick man opposite for his quiet cornish voice and his uncanny gray eyes and his warning if he does he makes the mistake of his life tell him from me and william james rose to his feet you'll excuse me for stopping talking like this over things that's no business of mine he added it's awfully good of you said harriet well it's not often i interfere with people's doings but there was just something about you and mr somers awfully good of you he had taken his little black felt hat he had an almost italian or spanish look about him from one of the big towns barcelona or even palermo i suppose i'll have to be getting along he said she held out her hand to him to bid him good-bye but he shook hands in a loose slack way and was gone leaving harriet uneasy as if she had received warning of a hidden danger she hastened to show summers the persimmons when he came home and to tell of her visitor and he's queer lovett he's awfully queer nice too he told me we were superior people and that we made a mistake coming here because they'd bring us down to their level not if we don't let them he says we can't help it why did he come to tell you that i wonder they were going down to mullumbimby in two days time and they had hardly seen anything of jack and victoria since the sunday at mosman's bay but victoria called across the fence rather hesitatingly you're going with us saturday aren't you mrs somers oh yes we're looking forward to it immensely if it really suits you i'm so glad i thought perhaps you didn't want to go that same evening jack and victoria came across for a few minutes look at the lovely cacci said harriet giving the persimmons their italian name william james brought them me this morning william james brought them cried victoria and jack in a breath why whatever have you done to him nothing laughed harriet i hope not i'm sure you must have given him a glad eye said jack did he come in yes he came in and talked to me quite a long time he said he would see you tomorrow in town wonders never cease i tell you you've done it on him what did he talk to you about then oh australia he said he didn't think we should really like it he did did he wanted to warn you off so to speak 
perhaps laughed harriet the little mingo he's as deep as a five hundred feet boring and i've never got down to sweet water in him yet don't you trust him said harriet trust him oh yes he'd never pick my pocket i didn't mean that that's the only way i have of trusting folks said jack then you don't trust them far mocked harriet perhaps i don't and perhaps i'm wise of it end of chapter four jack and jazz part three